Hey guys, what's up? Here's our latest episode of Find Your Film. This one is a spotlight on director, late filmmaker Sidney Lumet. He's had one of the most prodigious, prolific, all that stuff, careers of any filmmaker in cinema, okay? So we don't expect to actually do an all-encompassing episode. We we just picked two movies from his collection. It's The Pawnbroker and also Night Falls on Manhattan. So check it out. It's coming up soon. Also, I just wanted to say that in previous episodes, I've mentioned the website findyourscene.com, find your scene. I'm, I've decided to actually house all of our archives and spoilers and entertainment news on Deepest Dream. So that's going to house this Find Your Film podcast and as well as the Cinematics podcast that I co-host with Anderson. Plus, when I get to it, I, I'm trying my best to with the time allotted, since I, you know, I have, we all have full time jobs. With the time allotted, I have a, my niece. I don't have to take care of my niece this summer, so it's a good thing. And I'll be posting up a lot more videos, video versions of our podcast on the Deepest Dream YouTube channel. So please subscribe if you want to see the video version of our podcast to find your film, and as well as other interviews that I do, that Bruce does. Bruce Perky, co-host Bruce Perky, also is a writer for Deepest Dream. He writes a couple of stories. A month for the site as well so yeah that's the big changes also on the on the deepest dream site i will start putting a lot of spoiler stuff a lot of separate spoiler posts and just different kind of entertainment information stuff that's going to be archived on that site specifically for this site we after we did this it's only a 60 minute episode after we did this lumet episode we did a separate like 20 25 minute mini spoiler episode that it that talks about the endings of Night Falls on Manhattan, as well as The Pawnbroker, okay? So if you're in, if you've seen any of those movies, or maybe you see the movie and then want to talk about the spoilers or listen to, listen to a discussion about the spoilers for both films, I'm going to actually house that on a separate audio track as well that's going to be on the Deepest Dream site. All right, guys, that's it. And oh yeah, you know what? I wanted to, I forgot to mention... Sydney, the reason why I, I picked Sidney Lumet, many reasons. He's a great filmmaker for this director spotlight. This it, this was my turn, and I and I picked Sidney Lumet. I also have a very nostalgic feeling about him because he's just a filmmaker that I've always been inspired by. But specifically from 2004 to 2012, I lived in this. I lived in downtown Los Angeles, and in starting in 2007, I met one of my best friends. Yeah, his name's Jovan White, and he's a fellow cinephile. And there used to be a bar, a hotel bar, right next to the apartment building I used to live in, in, in uh, this place in downtown LA called Bunker Hill. And specifically, the bar was, we, it was in the Omni Hotel, and we would just call it the Omni Bar, or the Noe Bar, N-O-E Bar. And it's one of the, some of the best moments of my life. I, I just, I can't believe it's been eight, nine years since I've last actually been a regular bar what not I was gonna say barkeep a patron it, just great great wonderful memories lasting friendships one of my best friends Deandra she's also I met her there as well just a lot of really wonderful things but apart some a lot of the conversations during those late night conversations dealt with cinema especially when Jovan and I were talking and we would always talk about some of our favorite Sydney Lumet films we would talk about the verdict how awesome that is and then I'd also tell him because at that point, at that point, I believe he hadn't seen Prince of the City, and I was telling him how much Prince of the City meant to me on a personal level. And he would talk about Dog Day Afternoon and 
And he and I would, if I recall, argue back and forth about Serpico. I didn't like it. I know he loved it a lot because Pacino is his guy. So we would usually have these Sidney Lumet discussions well into the morning where both of, our, both of us were probably either bleary-eyed and tired from the day. And we just talked to, we just talk about guys like Sidney Lumet. And he was one of, I guess, our favorite topics of discussion. And it's so, it sucks because he's always told me that I should see this Sean Connery film called The Hill, of course, directed by, directed by Lumet. And one of these days, I'm definitely going to see that movie. And yeah, Giovanna and I, we still, we haven't talked about Lumet together in years, but this podcast, I mean, on my end, as, as part of like this Sydney Lumet pick, it's dedicated to just my friendship with Giovanna and our late night Omni Hotel discussions about the wonders and of Sydney Lumet's storytelling. But anyways, that said, I've blabbered too much. Here is our Find Your Film episode where me, Bruce Perky, and Eric Holmes talk about the Sydney Lumet films Night Falls on Manhattan and The Pawnbroker. Thank you guys so much for listening to Find Your Film. And yeah, a million thank yous. But most importantly, go watch Sydney Lumet films. Hit us up and tell us what your favorite Sydney Lumet films are as well. All right, guys, take care. Hey everyone, we are back for another episode of Find Your Film. This time out, we are doing a director's spotlight. We actually haven't, I was thinking we haven't actually done a director's spotlight for a while. Am I wrong on this? Because our last one was the Thomas Vinterberg Dogma 95 one. Or did we do something after Dogma 95? My memory before Dogma Dogma 95 rings a bell. I don't know who this Thomas Winterberg character is you were talking about. <laughs> yeah, okay, right. Right, that was part of our rules. Eric Holmes was talking about one of the rules we were not we were not supposed to mention the filmmakers for our Dogma 95 episode. Bruce Berkey, did you do something after that or well, was before I that? Before that I did Leo's Carax. Leo's Carax. Okay, so, so it was Leo's Carax, been... then then Dogma and now you and then it'll be back to me. So Yeah, yeah. now here's here's the thing. Our this director spotlight is kind of wonky in my opinion because we are spotlighting director Sidney Lumet, and you just don't, you don't have 60 minutes is not even a fraction. It's not 1%. It's not even half a percent. As far as talking about the career of Sidney Lumet, we're not going to do an A to B or the A to Z biography on Sidney Lumet. We are going into just like the opening of one of the movies we're going to talk about the 1964 film, The Pawnbroker, we're just going to get right to it, okay? We're going to assume that Sidney Lumet is a director you may have known or may, you might not, not know who he is as a director, but I'm sure maybe you, if you're a cinephile, you've seen some of his top films. Network, The Wiz, maybe. Bruce Perky, Eric Combs, what are some of his other top films? Prince of the City, name some. Oh, you, named, you nailed it. The Wiz and Network. <laughs> the Wiz and Network. Uh, I mean, Perky, he's got- got the dog day in the afternoon running yes. on empty that I, I think running on empties is that one a lot of people don't know or is that I, I feel like the people that like running on empty really love running on empty but i don't know that that's a uh i think it's popular a little, one of his yeah that's i think a very it's a little lost one. yeah i feel oh, like really? a lot of people think, i don't think, think i never hear it get talked about ever yeah yeah no no that's a critically acclaimed film but i think a lot of people who do love it they love it because of Running on Empty and not because of Sidney Lumet. So yeah. that's one of those things because of Joaquin Phoenix uh, yeah. is in that one. Okay, oh. Bruce, name some more. Name some more. Um, right uh, did we say 12 Angry Men? 12 um, Angry Men. And Serpico. Uh, Serpico, yeah. Death Trap is one. It's a personal like trap. unsung yes. favorite of mine of his. I just bought two Warner Archive collection DVDs, Special Order. 
I have this Richard Gere film called Power that I still have to see that's directed by Lumet and also this movie with Jeff Bridges and Jane Fonda called The Morning After. So <laughs> I was joking to Eric Holmes, since I rarely date, even though I'm turning 50, The Morning After is something, unfortunately, I haven't been able to face for years. I have no social life. <laughs> that, that sadness is going to permeate we're regarding our first pick of this episode, which is going to be The Pawnbroker. So for this episode, we are spotlighting the films The Pawnbroker, released in 1964, and Night Falls on Manhattan, a movie I really love and I feel that's very underrated. So excited to talk about this movie, released in 1996, starring Andy Garcia. The Pawnbroker is headlined by Rod Steiger. Eric Holmes, last couple of weeks, just researching Sidney Lumet or thinking about him. What are some of the your, your thoughts on him in general? When was the first time you actually the name Sidney Lumet went into your brain? Well, like actually, yeah. I, I think the first movie I saw of his was The Wiz, and uh, I, I like you know I like The Wizard of Oz as a kid. I like The Wiz as a kid. That was one of those like when I got older, I found out people hated it, and it <laughs> just blew my mind. I'm like, why do you hate The Wiz? That was cool. Yeah. <laughs> I think it wasn't until. Uh, I saw Network. I think I saw like an interview with Paul Thomas Anderson. He mentioned his favorite movie of all time was Network, or one of his favorite movies was sure. Network. I was like, well, I like Paul Thomas Anderson, so I better see what this network business, you know, <laughs> what this network business is all about. And I watched that, and I'm like, holy crap, that movie's fucking awesome. <laughs> and then I kind of went back. I think I'd seen Dog Day Afternoon before that, but I went back and watched that, and then. uh it's kind of a kind of similar to William Friedkin, I guess, where like I had seen his movies but didn't know it was him. So it wasn't until it wasn't until I went and saw Network was blown away by that. I'm like, who the hell is this guy that made this movie? Oh, Sidney Lament. Let's see what other movies he's got, and then just kind of fell into a deep dive with him. Like just went and oh really you know, went went and looked for any Sidney Lament movie I could find. Get out of here. So you were probably, was this 10 years ago, 15 years ago? It was probably 2000-ish, I guess. Very I cool. I, I don't know. And then, of course, uh, then of course uh, he's got his book. Which is called Making one. Movies, his book right here. Making oh, movies. yeah. You, I'm, I'm glad you got yours. I, I was looking for mine. I couldn't find it anywhere. It is, a, Bruce, you, I don't think you have this book, Making Movies by Sidney Lumet. It is a seminal book, especially, A, if you're a cinephile. B, if you're a fan of Sidney Lumet's work. Actually, I don't know if this is the most important element. If you really want to make movies, this is a, even though this is a movie, movie making book of its time and place, you know, there's going to be different lessons to be learned, like regarding if you're going to use the RE Alexa or digital cameras and whatnot. As far as making movies, this is, I think, Eric, don't you think this is just a great book to, to have? So I, I read that and, uh, I read uh, Robert Rodriguez's Rebel Without a Crew, and yeah. I read that almost immediately afterwards. And so that both those books are like, you talk about movie double features. Those two books are a good double feature because Robert Rodriguez kind of shows you how to make, how, how he made a movie kind of on low budget, on a do-it-yourself sort of kind of way. And Sidney sure. Lament is more professional, and this is how you do it within the Hollywood system sort of way. So it gives you two like night and day different ways of uh making a movie if you're going to read one book read Sidney Lumet's book and if you're going to read two books read Robert Rodriguez's book <laughs> and Sidney Lumet's book but then if you're only going to read one book also read the Robert yeah they're, they're both fantastic books but if, reading them back to back if if you're 
at all interested in filmmaking, whether you want to or you're just interested in the process, both those books back to back are just amazing. Bruce, when did Lumet come into your sphere? Were you a youth or were you in your 20s or what's um, when did that name hit you? Kind of kind of similar to Eric. I, I saw quite a few of his movies before I connected it to a name. I know for sure I've seen The Wiz pretty early. I saw I saw Death Trap. I remember seeing that with my family when that came out in 82 or 83, something like that, 81. By the way, you've mentioned Death Trap so many times. I definitely need to see it. ASAP. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. It might I don't know how it ages. I haven't seen it for a long time, but I remember at the time it being just really fun and also one of the better twists I'd seen in a movie in quite a while. A pretty progressive twist for the era it came out. I now it might not age as well, but you know who knows. I just remember it being tons of fun too. I feel like it was around the late 80s, early 90s. At some point I went and I watched Dog Day Afternoon and I knew I was seeing Sidney Lumet and I kind of went then I went into all of those those Pacino, you know, I, the Serpico, Prince of the City. I kind of, I always feel like those are kind of a, a trio of movies that are all in that same kind of. I feel like that's a Lumet period or something. You oh, know, very cool. The, the you top. saw you saw Prince of the City. You actually saw it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. yeah. I remember seeing that all back in about that time period, like late eighties, early nineties, because they all were out on I think VHS at that point, and um, that's kind of when I got him in my brain as a as a director. Oh, I'm sure I saw Murder on the Orient Express back at the time in the day too. Didn't have any idea who he was. I, so I feel so ashamed. I've seen Kenneth Branagh's version of Murder yeah. on the Orient Express. No, good movie, but yeah. I still haven't seen Lumet's version of Murder on the Orient Express. Lumet's Eric. is really fun. If you saw the footage <laughs> on it from it, you'll be like, you want to see it because there's a lot of great actors in there and they're all having a great time with it. It's one of those kind of actory kind of vehicles. So, you know. We've talked before about uh, Inherit the Wind how it's mm-hmm. such a good story sure. that like every version is good because the story's that strong. I think Murder on the Orient Express kind of works yeah. that same way because uh, the Sidney Lumet version is awesome. Uh, the Kenneth Branagh version is a little more stylized, but it, I mean, it, it's it's such a good idea. It's just someone on the train died and yeah. let's figure out which one of you it is. It's You can't get simpler than that. And it, it, it leads to a pretty thrilling story, no matter who does it well and it's such a vehicle for a bunch of great actors to have some really fun roles and just to really kind of sink their teeth into it and and just yeah it's it's a it's a win-win you can't go wrong with it eric out of all of us three among us three eric holmes is the one who's really with courtroom dramas it's really you're very passionate about that genre so take us back to the first time you, you just the idea of 12 angry men I'm assuming since you've actually watched every single version of Inherit the Wind, by the way, not directed by Lumet, but that's another popular courtroom drama cinematically, but is 12 Angry Men just really something that you really loved and you watched over and over again? And you mentioned Friedkin. I'm sure you liked both the Lumet version, which is the original version and the Friedkin version. Yeah, I I love both of them. And not not to mention, you got a great story and you got uh, a different version from two great filmmakers. And yeah. But uh, I, I think the first time I saw 12 Angry Men was kind of early on when I was looking like that. That was the one that because I wasn't really that into courtroom dramas. At least I didn't think I was. That, that's something that kind of came later. I was like, you know, I think I kind of love courtroom dramas. But uh, that one's one that's like, uh, it's, it's old, it's black and white. I'm stupid. And then I watch it and go, damn, this thing is good. <laughs> you know, then, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, I have very. I you know I haven't seen 
12 Angry Men since I was a teenager. I saw it. I taped it on television. I was so blown away that it's one of those movies. Maybe I saw it a couple of times as a teen. I loved it so much, but I haven't gone back to it because it's one of those things that I, I, I just knew it was a perfect movie yeah. and there's so many other movies to see. So I haven't rewatched it for so many years. I, I think also, if you don't know it, uh, uh, similar to Harold and Maude, if you don't know what it is, 12 Angry Men seems like homework going in. It's yeah. not until after you've watched it and you're like, oh my God, this movie's amazing that you know. But it, it's it, it's got, it, I think 12 Angry Men kind of has that barrier to entry. If you don't already, if you don't already trust Sidney Lament or know who he is, or you don't know already know how great this story is, it's hard to just jump in like, oh, this will be a good one to watch. And it, it kind of is a crowd pleaser. Like it's not a, you know, it's not a midnight movie, but I I don't know anyone who's saw 12 Angry Men and said, eh. uh, good point. <laughs> I, I'm heard. sure they exist. I haven't seen anyone that, that thinks that. So, yeah, one of the knocks regarding City Lumet, and I think it's a knock that probably I inflicted upon him as well. And I used to complain when I was probably in my early 30s. The, the, one of the main criticisms of Lumet is he doesn't have a distinct visual style, you know, and, and it's one of these things where. I used to say that myself when I was in my 20s. Now, 20 years later, I realized that he's a true auteur. He's a person who can just tackle so many different genres. And when I was listening to a podcast where just an archived interview, when the interviewer asked Lumet about that question about him having no visual style and no distinct visual style, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, well, probably the reason why is because I let the story come first. He likes to put his style in service of the story he's telling, correct? And he said, to me, the only the only bad shot is a shot you recognize. Me, me being a Brian De Palma <laughs> fan hurts like heck, but if it's coming from Sidney Lumet, I'm going to take that medicine very good. So Bruce, you're saying- Oh, I was going to add into that because I watched that documentary you were, telling, you were talking yeah. about earlier by Sidney Lumet. It's really yes. good. It's mostly him telling stories, but they have tons of footage to like, illustrate it from his movies which there are several in there that i watched and i was like oh i need to see that movie i haven't seen that one but he talks specifically about what you're talking about in um dog day afternoon if you remember that sequence he talks about how he didn't you know usually go in a movie and you figure out what's the color palette going to be like what's the style of this movie going to be and he definitely will go depending on the movie to certain styles in fact that's why he got kicked out of the actor studio because they're all into the naturalist style. And he was, he said like, well, but sometimes you want to act differently, like for Shakespeare and stuff. And they said, out, you're out. <laughs> you <know? laughs> but the dog day afternoon thing, he talked about how he wanted it to be as close to, because it was a real life story. He wanted to look like it could almost be just a highly, a lightly, slightly better filmed reality. So he told like all the actors, just wear whatever you're going to wear and come to the set. So he didn't even know what they were going to wear. They had no wardrobe. So just that's a perfect example of what you're talking about, where he's not shooting for a particular style in that movie. It's more just he in that movie specifically, he's trying to kind of get that true verite sort of a, a, a feel to this this movie that he's trying to put out. So you actually did the extra credit. You you actually watched It's Fresh in Your, in Your Mind by Sidney Lumet. Currently, as we're recording this, it's currently streaming on Amazon Prime Video. If by some hook or crook, you're listening to this and it's not streaming on Amazon Prime Video. Bruce, would you highly recommend this documentary? Is it worth it? And can you recount that really pivotal tale, which I'm trying yeah. to put in? My- yes. 
Yes, I can do both. So I would highly, I would highly recommend it with one tiny caveat. And that is there are a couple things. They do some pretty extended sequences for some of the movies, which is really nice. And he's illustrating like how he did certain things and what he was trying to get at and why he shot it a certain way, which is awesome. But certain movies might be slightly spoiled by that. So I would be slightly forewarned or if you're watching it and you're really enjoying it and you get to a movie you haven't seen by, by him, you might kind of just skip a little forward past that movie and go to the next part. But that would be my only caveat, but the pivotal story, now this is really interesting and really harrowing, I would say yeah. uh, the movie. The, so it's mostly an interview with him with footage interspersed. It's pretty much just him. They don't hear the questions even getting asked to him. He's just kind of talking about his craft uh, but he starts out, the very first thing is he tells the story of he was on a train and there was a bunch of troops on the train. And I forget what year it was, but it must have been like around World War II or somewhere in yeah. that time period. And there's this young girl on the on the the landing of the train, you know, outside the train on the on the deck there. And young, like I forget what age he said she was, but it was younger than 18. She was pretty young. And as they start to, to roll away, the soldiers lean lean out of the window and literally scoop her up and pull her into a car. And he's just looking at himself and he says, he recounts it and he says he was kind of shocked and didn't know what to do. So he walked back to that car to where that room that where those soldiers were and they were all assaulting the woman. Like, and they even asked him like, Hey, you know, well, if you want to pay, you can, you can come on in too. And he just, and it's, it just shocked him. And it was like this pivotal moment in his life where he was like faced with this huge moral moment. Like, what do you do in that moment? And that and the movie starts with that and it doesn't finish the anecdote. And for the whole movie, it kept coming back in my brain. Like, are they ever going to come back to that? And they do at the very end. So I actually won't recount how that story ends. Well, very cool. But it's pretty, um, it's pretty impactful. And he's very honest uh, he's very honest throughout, but I think the way that he reacts is is really interesting and really, um, it's kind of profound in a documentary that isn't about that per se, but uh, that side of it uh, is is really, really interesting. Now, without giving too much away, Eric, you got to definitely see by, by Sidney Lumet, wonderful documentary. And Bruce, I can't believe I said, oh, cool. That's, I'm going to edit that <laughs> on the final mix. <laughs> I meant, oh, cool, folks. You know what? I'm like, like, I, the reason why listeners, I said, oh, cool, it's because I would have actually revealed it, but it's actually good that he that Bruce did not reveal it just for the sake of you watching the documentary specifically. And also when you get to the, some of the dog day afternoon sequences, yeah, fast forward or look, avert your eyes, please. Okay. Now, the only thing I will say regarding, oh, Eric, you, you're going to say? I, I wanted to, I wanted to uh, kind of counterpoint on the, uh, the scenes that they show in the documentary. Um, I, I think that, it, if you don't know who Sidney Lumet is, I think that might help because we were talking about earlier barrier to entry because the scenes are extended and they do kind of, yeah. they do kind of draw you in like, huh? Like, well, the 12 angry men scene, the, it was the, uh, um, the blind ballot. And if, yeah. if, if it's this, then I'll stay out of it. And it it is a spoiler, but I think it's, it doesn't give away the ending. It gives away the ending of that scene. And it, I think it's interesting enough that it might pull people and go, well, that's interesting. I want to see what that's about. Or, you know, uh, any of the other scenes that they kind of show, uh, I think they showed the one of uh, the verdict, which I guess is 
actually at the end. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that those one, scenes, I, I think that those one scenes... specifically, I, I was also specifically thinking of like Serpico. There's some real, a really yeah. key element of Serpico, which would be good yeah. not to know. So actually what? the pawnbroker for that matter. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, uh, we could probably get into the pawnbroker because also that story that he tells kind of goes right into the pawnbroker because yeah. there is a, there is a scene where the pawnbroker is walking right by someone, get the shit kicked out of him, And he just kind of looks at it as a flashback and then just goes about, you know, um, yeah, and then uh, there was another parallel that I can't remember because well, you know, my in, brain sucks. Go in ahead. fairness, in, regarding your counterpoint, in fairness to both sides, it's all about the way the film culture is. So, Bruce, you and I are pretty much of the same age. I'm assuming you and I read film criticism of the '80s, Pauline Kael, uh, you know, even guys like Andrew Sarris, where they talk about the entire movie and the spoilers were actually in the essay. So people like me and Bruce of a certain age, we were used to actually being spoiled. And what's cool, and you know this, Bruce, what's cool now, this, the way film culture is today, the idea of spoiling anything is like, you, you don't, you want to be a gatekeeper regarding people's expectations for a movie. So it's one of these things where it's catch as catch can. I think for the full enjoyment of by Sidney Lumet. Um, so you love this. You love the documentary as well, Eric? You really enjoyed it? Yeah. Yeah. It was, okay. it, it was really good. Really, really cool. Yeah. So it's one of these things where, yeah, you definitely, it might not really spoil, if you don't mind spoilers, that it'll really enrich your experience. But on the other hand, I totally agree. There are, there, this documentary is rife with spoilers. That said, if you can take that bad medicine with some of the endings of this, these movies, I think it'll give you a really pretty good picture on who, what Sydney yeah. Met is all about. Yeah. So let, you know what? Let's just start off with The Pawnbroker. And the reason why I decided to choose this was there's a bunch of Sidney Lumet films I haven't seen, and The Pawnbroker was one of them. I was expecting to absolutely fall in love with this movie. Why? Because, yes, it's directed by Sidney Lumet. It stars Rod Steiger, who received an Oscar nomination for the movie. So good in this movie. He plays Sid Nazerman, a Holocaust survivor. Yeah, I mean, it's in the beginning. It starts off. Yeah, with, it's pretty early. Yeah, it, It's pretty early on. You, you see this. They're out in, I guess, like the, not the fields, like some somewhere out in nature. He's with uh, this woman, presumably his wife. There, he's being hugged by two kids, presumably his kids, and everything. And then there's probably his mother, and, and she's in black. And there's everything seems very idyllic on a on a seemingly perfect day. That said, that's not a perfect day. That's sort of in his mind because he is, like we said, like I said, a Holocaust survivor. He's lost family in the concentration camps. He is riddled with tragedy. And Sid Nazerman, he goes through his life as a pawnbroker in the shop in East Harlem, pretty much obsessed. Like I'm obsessed with cryptocurrency these days. He's obsessed with making money. And that's his way of actually dealing with life, focusing on making a profit from the wares he buys and sells. There is a, his actually his probably his only friend is his coworker played by Jaime Sanchez, who plays Jesus Ortiz. That, that is a Puerto Rican coworker who is trying to learn as much as he can from, from Saul. And um, yeah, to, he, he, he needs to, he's trying to learn the pawnbroking business, pawnbroker business from Saul. It's their relationship. And ultimately this movie shot in black and white, beautifully shot by the way, it's a very intense movie. And before I get into my final, my main thoughts, oh, also it's, it stars Geraldine Fitzgerald, Brock Peters, really great acting. 
before I get into my final thoughts, Eric Holmes, the pawnbroker, you've seen this years ago. So this is a rewatch for you. Yeah. Were you always a fan of this movie? This would have been like a lower tier Lumet for me until I just rewatched it. Because I, I think, <laughs> like like I yeah. said, this was one I saw pretty early on. And this was just one that didn't kind of light my pants on fire. And I just don't think I was ready for it at the time. And then, uh, especially after watching that documentary and kind of hearing him talk about it, like the his personal stories and how the... Uh, pawnbroker has scenes that are just like <laughs> pulled directly from his own life experiences I, I think i get this movie a little more the way he shuts himself off from the world because he's seen the the worst that humanity has to offer in uh, world war ii he's kind of uh kind of repressing his disgust uh so someone asks him if he's racist and he says that's ridiculous i don't hate anyone because of uh because of their color of the skin, I think all humans are garbage. <laughs> There's something to yeah, that effect. Pretty much. I was like, God damn, this guy hates everyone. And not and not like in a uh, you know, that, I'm not gonna get into that, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know the people. I'm not racist, I hate everybody, you know. That you say it in a glib fashion. He didn't say this in a glib fashion, he means this. Like he's just uh I I wonder if it's like a it's definitely a post-traumatic stress thing. Do you think that uh, he revolves his life around money because that can't be taken away from him unless he gives it away, you know? Yes. Uh, and if it is taken away from him, it's not going to hurt him emotionally. It's a tool to be used and collected and so on and so forth. But yeah, I, I think this movie resonated a lot more with me uh, on this last watch than it ever has before. Uh, the I guess the only part I'm kind of struggling with is um, a little hand thing that we I guess we won't get into. Uh, that part I didn't quite get, but I think I'm kind of the more I think of it, the more that that's kind of starting to make sense to me. Um, but yeah, this is it's a good movie, and I believe uh, Morgan Freeman's in this in an uncredited role is yes. Man on Street. <laughs> I don't <laughs> yeah. know if he says anything. I just I just saw that it was in it uh, after the fact, and then uh, I was like, I'm gonna have to watch that again now and see if I can point him out. I'm sure he looks nothing like he does now, but you know. Uh, but yeah, I, I did the pawnbroker a lot, and I think this is a movie that you know this might not be the case for everyone, but I think you need to be in a certain headspace to really get what he's going for in this. And if you're not in that headspace, this movie's gonna seem like a mess. But if you can get on that wavelength, it's pretty powerful, I think. Yes, regarding the hand, we're going to talk about the hand. We're going to do a specific spoilerific mini episode that's going to live on our website, which I have abandoned. I've abandoned my website the last several months. <laughs> Findyourscene.com. You're going to hear just our discussion of the pawnbroker and Nightfalls on Manhattan, the ending sequences. It's not going to be on this regular podcast feed. I'll find a way to, we'll find a way to put it on that website for you guys to listen to once you see the movie or if you've already seen the movie. So that'll be like a, an extra 15, 20 minute kind of extra bonus that you'll find on our findyourscene.com website. So we're going to get to the hand pretty soon, Eric Holmes. So Bruce Perkin, before we get to you, along with the awesome actors in this movie, composed by music by Quincy Jones, mm -hmm. cinematography by Boris Kaufman. He's a DP on several Lumet films. It's beautiful to look at. Eric, Eric rewatched it. So it's an upscale for him because of the documentary. 
how did you take this movie? Did you really love it? As did it? Does it deserve the acclaim that it's, it's received over the years? I think it does. I, I think it's a, a really good movie. It doesn't quite hit great status to me. There's a couple things that I think are slightly dated now. It's hard because you're doing a Holocaust movie, and now Holocaust movies are a much more common thing. So certain little things will nag me when I'm watching it. Like, boy, those are the cleanest best fed um, people in the Holocaust I've ever seen. You know, I, I kept seeing those scenes and just being like, Oh my gosh, they just look like they just walked off the street and they look great. So, and uh, I will also point out some people we really pulled out of the movie when the Austin Powers music comes up during a love scene, <laughs> that's definitely something yeah. that'll throw people off, but that, this is all like little nitpicks. That, that is funny. Not the <laughs> movie's I, fault, by the way. Austin Powers came It totally later, isn't, but... but you're just like, what the hell? <laughs> that does, t- that does take you out for a second. What, where did I hear? Oh, Austin, very good. Austin Powers. Yeah, it's very good. But on the plus side, um, uh, obviously Rod Steiger is just off the rails. Great. In this movie, he's just, I mean, uh, it's he's just acting his ass off in this movie like all through it yeah i i was t- thinking about what eric was saying about him kind of having post-traumatic stress and to me it almost seemed like he was it was that survival survivor syndrome where it's like he hates himself it's kind of a cliche right but he hates himself the most you know and then he hates everybody else too just to kind of keep them away so he doesn't have to have any emotions. And then the whole money thing I kind of took is, as um, he can control that, you know, like that pawn shop is his little controllable world. You know, that's where he has the ability to make everything the way he needs it to be. And he can tell people $2. That's all you get $2, you know, as people walk in. I also want to point out to me, the scenes I loved almost more than anything in this movie is there's a, especially an extended sequence where he's just walking around at night, like on location in New York yeah. at night. That is fucking fantastic. I mean, he's walking by all these buildings, this weird architecture and the lights and it's, it's amazing. It's just, it's so cool. And it's at a time when that character is going through some shit, more shit than even has been all the way, but some shit. Uh, I liked all the main characters. I think the only other drawback to me was some of the customers for the pawn shop were kind of tropey. Like, you know, they were just sort of like a little bit, I think now they look a little, a little too over the top and a little too one note like i'm the pregnant lady and my guy left me here's my ring how much can i get for it those kind of things are a little bit like eh, okay it's kind of like easy whereas one of these days the stuff- i'm gonna go up to a woman with a ring and i'm just gonna say it's glass yeah so he had like a bunch of types that kept visiting him and I, that to me was kind of like eh. but i mean all the stuff with brock peters i loved brock peters in this movie Yes, Brock so Peters. Good. Yeah, excellent actor. He plays Rodriguez, pretty much the crime boss of that whole East Harlem neighborhood area. He has his hands on everything, his hand in every little pot. And, you know, he runs, well, I'm not going to tell you what kind of businesses are around <laughs> the pawn shop. That's going to be something that you as the listener, and hopefully if you haven't seen the pawn shop, the pawnbroker, you'll be surprised to hear about him. But also I was reading on IMDb that, his character, he's this powerful man in the area. He lives in a really nice, what is it? It's either a home or a beautiful apartment. I'm assuming it's a really awesome apartment. And his room, that's not his roommate. That's his lover. And it's a male lover. Yeah, kind of think. I figured that too. Yeah. And he's white. So you got to think 1964, very topical stuff. Very, very uh, topical. Eric. Actually, 
I don't know if topical is the right word because there's the uh, on-screen homosexual relationship and the uh, frontal nudity. And yep. this was at a time when they had that, uh, was it the Hayes Code? Yep. Yeah. So this was yeah. one of the first movies that broke through that and eventually got rid of the Hayes Code. So that, that, uh, I think the pawnbroker, and I could be wrong about this, but I think the pawnbroker is one of the movies, kind of like a, uh, uh, you know, like Citizen Kane. Like even if you don't like it, you have to uh, admire that it brought so much uh, technique into filmmaking. I think pawnbroker is kind of similar in that regard. That even if you don't like pawnbroker, you have to know oh, its historical significance and what it did like movies today would not be the same had pawnbroker not came out and kind of you know busted the walls that uh people put upon the filmmaking well world. and that's kind of a it's little bit what important. i was getting at with the holocaust stuff i think that uh, people now watching it backwards are going to think like this is pretty good this is pretty cool but they're not going to get the effect of what this probably was like to watch it back then because like you're talking about all those things must have just been like, wow, this movie is just assaulting me. It's assaulting all the norms in a way that's pretty in your face. So I have to imagine watching this in 1964 had to be pretty, um, a pretty yeah. intense experience on top. of I, It's just pretty intense already. You know, I guess I, I also agree. I guess I, I, I was wrong. It was topical. I, it just wasn't, uh, at the time, I don't think uh, filmmakers were allowed to be topical in that regard. Oh, no, of course. No, get it. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, good point on that. It, there, There is a lot of upscale. The historical, like Eric Holmes saying, the historical significance regarding cinema, very important to check out The Pawnbroker. We haven't, I mean, we could do a whole podcast regarding the editing and the, and the cuts to the, to the flashback. If you've seen Chris Nolan's Memento and you think that's really ingenious and amazing, go back to 1964, see a couple of those flashbacks to the Holocaust and see if... This is not this jarring editing gets you or hits you emotionally. I really enjoyed this movie and a little bit more than you, Bruce, I would out of five stars. I'm, I'm thinking you're giving it like maybe a three and a half. I would no, give I'm, it. I'm at four stars on this. Okay. I'm, okay, cool. It's good. Oh, four, four stars. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'd, I'd be, I thought, I thought I was giving, giving it like a five or a four and a half. This is a, a very, very good, excellent movie. Four stars. Caveat is unlike Eric Holmes, I don't see myself returning to the pawnbroker. Why? Because I've already seen it and it's excellent. And I don't want to go through that journey again. It is yeah. unrelenting. This character, Saul Nazerman, he is, he's been through so much. You can understand, you can empathize, but he is, he is a meanie to a lot of people and not, and we, they're, they're, yeah, you have to be, you have to have empathy regarding his character, but his own journey is just, so tough to take and Lumet doesn't pull any punches and which credits the movie, but does not make me want to <laughs> yeah. return. And do, Eric, do you see it? What I'm, what I'm trying to say regarding that or, you know, yeah, it's, it's a, it's the, uh, it went a little deeper with me this time. I, I, well, another scene, well, Bruce, you mentioned the scene with the, uh, with the ring where she's trying to sell it. It's, I'm not buying it or I'll give you a dollar. It's like, but this is my wedding ring. And he's, he just looks at it. Just matter of factly, it's glass, but you just see her heartbreak. Cause she didn't yeah. know that. And, and you know, and, and, his, and from his point of view, Oh, she's trying to scam me calling this a diamond ring and it's glass ring, but you see in her face, she's just now realizing for the first time, her husband lied to her. <laughs> well, he also seems <laughs> to be like, like, 
okay, I guess I'll just leave. <laughs> Don't you think he he's also kind of like just like, hey, life's tough and it's fucked and it's gonna fuck you at every turn. So get uh, get yeah. over it. It's gonna happen to you too. So he just yeah. kind of just he just bluntly like throws everyone else into yeah. that boat with him. He's like, yep, you're gonna be here with me. So get on it. I mean, and, and <laughs> yeah, to, right. to his credit though, he survived the Holocaust. So if there's yeah. anyone that can take that that perspective, it's him. No, <laughs> it's yeah, like it's I, too. Oh. Oh, your husband broke up with you? Boo-hoo. I survived the Holocaust. It's like, <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, that's 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 a one-upmanship to the uh, level, yeah. I guess. So all, all huge recommendations for The Pawnbroker, all solid yeah. film. But Bruce, do we do the caveat, meaning this is unrelenting? Just be prepared for something like that? Or is yeah. that not? I think that, I mean, like you said, cinephiles uh, definitely hop right on in. But if you're like, hey, I want to... I want to go see, uh, I don't know, pick pick your uh, feel-good movie. This is not it. So, <laughs> Okay, so that is The Pawnbroker. As we speak, currently streaming on Amazon Prime Video. There, I'm sure there are many ways to rent it. I haven't checked, done my homework, if it's available on DVD or Blu-ray. I'm assuming it's so. It's one of these things. I may be, I think down the road, I might go Eric Holmes and actually be a completist and collect all of Lumet's work, works as much as I love The Pawnbroker. That might be one of the last ones on my list because that'll just be on the shelf not collecting dust. I'll, I'll dust all the dirt off, but I'll just keep it there to collect, but not to watch again. Okay, so that is The Pawnbroker. Our next film, it happens 32, year, 32 years later, Night Falls on Manhattan in 1996. First saw this, first time I saw this was I was at, actually at the Paramount Studios lot. Saw it at a mid-afternoon screening. Unfortunately, around not that time, I think I had just seen Prince of the City around that same year. I was expecting another Prince of the City. I walked out of that, that that screening really enjoying it, but thinking to myself, I love this movie. It's good, but it's not Prince of the City. And I, I have a feeling it's not going to be as popular as Prince of the City. That's, that's a very unfair assessment regarding Night Falls in Manhattan. When it came out, it wasn't a huge hit. It's not considered one of Lumet's best films. I did the rewatch. Over the years, it, again, 1996, over the years, my mind would often drift to Night Falls in Manhattan and realize how much I felt that movie was underrated. Regarding spoilers, I'm just going to go right with the plot summary for IMDb. It says, quote, and this is a spoiler, Bruce, but it says it on IMDb, quote, a newly elected district attorney finds himself in the middle of a police corruption investigation that may involve his father and his partner. I'm reading right off the top. The reason why that's kind of funny is because that happens about, oh, halfway through the movie. So ultimately, the story, actually, the, the real story, it centers on Sean Casey, who starts off as an assistant DA that's played by Andy Garcia, who gets the case of a lifetime prosecuting the drug kingpin who killed several cops during a raid and Ian Holm is Liam Casey, the father of Sean Casey. The reason why Sean Casey got the gig to, to become a prosecutor was because his father, Liam, was shot and nearly died from that incident. James Gandolfini co-stars as Joey Allegretto, the partner of Liam Casey. We're going to also talk about a whole bunch of a lot of the other actors. I'm sure Eric Holmes is going <laughs> to throw in his own thoughts on Com Fiore, we should just call ourselves the Com Fiore, Fiore podcast. Lately, he's yes. Also, yeah, he's also in this. So anyways, Lena right off the Holm. top, 
Oh, and Lena Olin's also in this. She plays a what a criminal defense attorney, assistant DA. So she's also in this. She becomes a love interest of Sean Casey's. She has has a really good role in this movie. I feel this movie is underrated. I'm hoping you guys at least kind of like it. Bruce, let's start start off with you regarding Night Falls on Manhattan. I I kind of like it, <laughs> but I don't love it. No, I think this is to me. It's rated just about right. I think this is lower lower tier Lumet. It's a little more. Uh, I, I look at all of his kind of his his crime, like I talked about earlier, kind of his crime cop trilogy. Even though he has others in that genre, I think those are all just really top notch movies. Uh, and even throw in the verdict in there is a really really great movie. Um, whereas to me, this one's just a little bit more. Um, it's a little overheated. It's a little bit of a cheeseburger cop movie. Uh, I wasn't surprised by any of the beats. Like I knew, oh, he's going to be bad. Oh, we're going to discover he's bad. And I thought that it kind of, uh, it was too fast. I mean, not that I want a movie to be three hours long, but I thought it went very fast. Like, oh, he's just a DA. Now he's a DA. Oh, now he's this. Now he's running for this. And and it's like, oh, this guy died or is almost dying. So now he can become running for this. And it's just like it plot wise, it was very accelerated for what actually happens in this movie. And everybody screamed. Everybody screamed. His boss <laughs> screamed. He screamed. When people get upset, they scream in this movie. Ron, Ron, um, Lieb, uh, Rob, wait, Ron Liebman plays his boss. He the, screamed all the time. The district attorney who ultimately does not become the district attorney again due to, due to something. But yeah. he screams a lot. Yeah. But it's good. All that being said, it's good. It's, it's an entertaining cop drama with some twists. And some, you know, thrills and some decent acting. But to me, it's it's not much more than that. Also, if you're a fan of The Sopranos, Dominic Chinese, he plays the judge. Again, he's joining James Gandolfini. There's a lot of character actors you've seen. I mentioned Ron Lieben. There's also, of course, Richard Dreyfus, Jaws's own Richard Dreyfus <laughs> as Sam Vigoda. Yeah, Jaws's own Richard Dreyfus. He plays Sam Vigoda, the the attorney who butts heads with Sean Casey during the trial. He's a criminal defense attorney. So that's a very intricate movie. Bruce thought it was really too sped up, even though you liked it a little bit. Eric Holmes, your thoughts on Night Falls on Manhattan? I agree with uh, Bruce in that this goes too fast, and I do want to see a three-hour version of this. I, it, Maybe I do too. <laughs> but the, uh, yeah, so it's, you know, they, they have that whole opening. It's almost like it's three movies. You got the opening scene where you get to watch everything go down and uh, you get to watch the guy shoot the cops and what, what, I mean, you get all the information right there and then they go to the court scene and like, okay, this is going to be the rest of the movie. It's going to be a courtroom drama for the rest. And then the court scene, you know, the court part is done. And I was like, oh, and I paused it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, we still got a lot of movie left. (laughs) I was like, this thing's wrapping up pretty quick. And uh, and then so I had no idea what to expect for the for the last third, and I I think they all kind of worked together in ways I wasn't quite expecting, because the guy the guy that kills the cops normally in a movie like this uh, he would be sympathetic, and he's not. He's a, he's a, he's a murderer. He likes it. And granted, he's been kind of dealt a rough hand, but he still has made choices that you can't turn back from so you kind of want to you kind of want to root for the cops in that regard like yeah just throw them you know lock them up throw them away the key uh but it, but then 
at the same time, you start to learn uh, even even before they get into the corrupt cop stuff. The uh, who, who's the guy that looks like Ben Mendelsohn that yells all the time? Oh, Ron Liebman. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, first of all, I I do like that guy, um, but <laughs> yeah, he's but uh, like the way that. Because Richard Dreyfus, like, we're going to uh, turn ourselves in a peaceful, or, or, or there's a word for like a peaceful uh, a sur- a surrender or yeah, peaceful surrender. And the first thing they do is they open the door and just punch them in the face and drag them out of the car. It's like, <laughs> I'm watching that going, yeah, this seems like cops to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so like the cops, like the, I'm, I'm watching, I'm watching before this, this uh, 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 court hearing comes up. I'm watching how Ben Mendelsohn's uh, not <laughs> forget his Rob, name Ron Liebman. Ron Liebman. Ron Liebman. Uh, yeah, his, no his, his character, um, he's kind of the guy calling the shots, and all the shots he's calling. I'm thinking, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm thinking, dude, if you want to get this guy, you're making trouble for yourself because you're just yeah. opening yourself up for all sorts of lawsuits and yeah. appeals and all you know all sorts of anything and to the point where richard dreyfus knows what time it is first thing he has he he has the he has the uh the cop killer come in take off his clothes all right turn around you'll notice he has no scratches no cuts no bruises i expect him to come back then you know in the same condition you know that was awesome and, and when when they first said it, I'm like, what the fuck are they doing? And they start, and then once he said, it, I'm like, dude, that's more. Oh god damn! I wish I was a lawyer. I would totally use that. <laughs> but that, but yeah, the, the the cop killer, he's not, you know, he's not off the hook. Like he's not sympathetic at all. He killed him. He killed him because he liked it. Um, but then you also uh, see the cops. And they're not sympathetic either. Like they're, I mean, as much as cops could be sympathetic, they're they're all corrupt. And so it's kind of uh, this would be something where someone's like, I didn't like it because I didn't like any none of the characters were likable. But I think that's the point in this one. Yeah, because it starts you off. Uh, a certain group of people will be watching this and seeing the cop killer and go see. Uh, they they do what they got to do to put him down. And then all uh, the court stuff gets down and now we're left with the corrupt cops and those same people, if they're not hypocrites, they would also say you're breaking the law too. You need to go to, but you know, you're on the take or you're breaking the law or doing whatever you also need to go to jail. And it, it's kind of, uh, I don't know if this was the point, but it seems like a jab just at, this hypocrisy in in general like if if someone does something and you don't like that then if someone else does a thing then you have to not like that as well unless which does make me wonder about the ending and we'll talk about it in the spoiler thing but it does make me really wonder what the ending is supposed to be telling yeah i i I have i definitely have a lot to say uh about that that end scene Um, it's funny because and, and we'll get to that for sure <laughs> as you're describing it i guess i kind of think i think i kind of was identifying as you're describing it like what didn't quite work for me as much i mean i liked it but i didn't like it as much i so i felt i should have in the second kind of half is that that first half when we're in it we're seeing the stuff happen like we're seeing the stake out we're seeing all the stuff that goes down i was so engaged and i feel like after that a lot of the stuff we're hearing about we're hearing about the corruption we're hearing about you know how it went down we're hearing about it and it's still interesting but it's like it's all kind of being just told to us we're not 
seeing, I know, I know why, because we're, ta- we're following the Andy Garcia character and to see how he reacts to all this, but I'm not quite as interested in that as I were to just actually see the stuff go down. You know yeah. what I mean? I, so that was like I, my I, only kind of reservation at that I, point. I guess I, I guess I just saw that movie different. I saw the first movie as they were holding back on the, on showing us a police brutality because they want, they want people to uh, be sympathetic towards the cop. They want to root for the cops to have them. Let's get this guy. He's cop killer. He did, you know, they totally. want him to get him, And then they want to have those same people see if they feel the same way at, at the last half when they're seeing the cops right. do shady shit and, and murder shit and all, all this and that. But we never saw the cops do very much shady shit. We just heard about all the shady shit. They did. Oh, okay. You know I mean? Yeah. I, I, That's I what I'm what saying. Like about. I would have yeah. liked, to have seen i would have liked to have seen both things happening like yeah. that's the thing that i've kind of feel like when uh, some of the other ones we talked about we were in it like the other movies that i loved that were kind of in the same genre for him I, we were in it the whole time or if it's a courtroom drama it's a courtroom drama that's a whole different thing yeah but i, I kind of felt like that's where that, that kind of doing a little bit of everything weakened it where it could have been really strong um not bad like i said yeah. entertaining i i enjoyed it all the way through i was never bored i enjoyed it i was had a good time watching it I just felt like more. <laughs> slight recommend. Slight recommend yes. from you, Bruce. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Slight recommend for you, Eric. Slight. I'd or... say a heavy recommend for me. Oh, heavy um, recommend. Yeah, oh, but okay. uh, but again, uh, uh, to <laughs> I did want a three-hour version of this. Um, you did want a three-hour. Oh, and okay. yes, and to and to Bruce's point, though, now that you mentioned that, I, I think a longer version of this movie you could go yeah. you could go into that because uh, with, with as short as a movie you know run times of movies go and this is essentially three that's not three acts this is three movies <laughs> like you, you could have had that first first third be one movie second third be the uh part two and the third you know be it, uh, it, this movie could easily been stretched out into a trilogy easy yeah no definitely definitely yeah it also we forgot to mention Confiore. He plays <laughs> yeah. Elhu Harrison. He's he's the protege of the Ron Lieben character. Ron Lieben is the the district attorney at the beginning of the movie, Morgan Stern. And Elihu, Elihu or Elhu Harrison, played by Confiore, he's the protege, the right-hand man of that lawyer. So he has a really small, yeah, kind of a small part. He's more, he's more, he's in and out of the movie. He's very good in the movie. Also, we have to mention Ian Holm as Liam Casey. He's fantastic as Sean Casey's <laughs> father. The scenes between Andy Garcia and Ian Holm. This magic. might be this might be the best I've ever seen. Like this, this is the first movie I can think of with when I saw Ian Holm in it, where I'm like, he's fucking awesome in this. Like he's so always good. been good, but I really liked him a lot in this one. Yeah, when you can share a scene with James Gandolfini, who's your partner, and outshine him in a certain scene, it's so it's so hard. And by the way, Gandolfini's very good in this movie too. We mentioned oh, yeah. Lena Olin, all very good performances. One of the reasons why I really love this movie, and I do see your your points regarding it was rushed. First off, there's yeah, there's just a lot of stuff that goes on in this movie. It's one of the only five movies that Sidney Lumet penned the screenplay for. So it's written and directed by Lumet. It's a personal film. Well, you know what? Could it have been written by maybe Mamet, like how Mamet did the verdict? <laughs> yeah, maybe it might have been an upscale if we had someone like a David Mamet pen the screenplay for Night Falls on a Manhattan. But the story of Sean Casey, a guy who is unwittingly thrust from a just a a, uh, sort of, I guess, ears to the ground assistant DA who's just paying his dues to a guy who becomes pretty much a celebrity uh, amongst the uh, lawyer and cop profession. Oh, by the way, Sean Casey is a former cop turned 
assistant DA turned district district attorney, as the IMDb spoiler summary says. Okay, but <laughs> it's about a guy who play, and I think Andy Garcia, who does shot a lot in this movie, is very good in this movie. <laughs> but as Sean Casey, the idea of a man who gets almost everything that he wants, but has to understand that his idea of what is fair, what is justice, what is the law, his own moral beliefs, his this is a morality tale where the, the protagonist has to really look at, at himself in the mirror. And it's a very personal story, even with all, all of its flaws. It, like Eric Holmes says, yeah, it should have been probably a two and a half, three hour movie. It is three movies. But I love Sean Casey's ultimate journey, the ending of the film. There's a lot of exposition in this movie. The ending of the film is exposition laden. And it is going to be, it is a heartbreaker of an ending because it, it is so true in how one nav- one sometimes must navigate in life, not just as a lawyer, but as a human being. So I think as Lumet was talking about lawyers and crooked cops and the uh, corruption of politics, he was also talking about the ultimate corruption that is inherent in humanity. All you need is, all you need to do in this life is get older and you're going to see enough corruption and compromise in your life, no matter what part of the world you live in. And I think that's what I really loved about the themes behind Night Falls on Manhattan. Glad you really, what did you love about it? You said heavy recommend, Eric. So what did you really love about Night Falls on Manhattan? I, I, I just like the, uh, just the whole theme of hypocrisy and kind of, uh, there, there's a lot more, but I can't talk about that right now. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you're right, you're right. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the stuff I really, really loved about it is the stuff that I cannot talk about right now. So oh, that I'll, is a, I'll, I'll, I'll just leave it there. That is a very good teaser, Eric Holmes. We're, okay, so that is Night Falls on Manhattan. As, we, as we're recording this again, Night Falls on Manhattan by Sidney Lumet, that wonderful documentary that Eric and Bruce just recently saw, and also The Pawnbroker. They're all streaming on Amazon Prime Video. Hunt them all down if by this recording, <laughs> Amazon Prime Video pulls a <laughs> switcheroo on you and you can't find it. I believe they're all worth renting. Bruce, Caveat: Night Falls on Manhattan worth renting for two ninety nine, three nine, or no? Yeah, uh, no, I wait. think so. Especially if you like crime dramas and stuff, it's it's solid. I just wanted it to go. I wanted to go more with it. I wanted more. Okay, so we're going to close this episode. That it's just a very quick Lumet episode. Night Falls on Manhattan. I say quick. It's probably this is probably a seventy minute episode. <laughs> Night Falls on Manhattan. The pawnbroker. Bruce Perky, just within the last week and a half, we pulled this Lumet episode out of our you-know-whats because we're, down the road, we're going to get back to Toto the Hero. That's a very per- I'm glad we actually delayed the Jacques Van Dormiel episode because that's a very personal episode for me. Bruce, what, what are the main things about Lumet that, that really stuck with you the last week, week and a half just researching his stuff? I just reminded again of like how many awesome movies he's made, like how many classic movies he's made i mean just blows me away watching the documentary kind of just highlighted to me the the through line of kind of these characters that are he taught oh i wish i could remember the phraseology he said exactly um you know people that are that are constantly trying to kind of buck the system or you know fight there's a lot of fight the power there's a lot of 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 stuff like that in his movies that is really interesting but his characters are always complex i think it's just he's just a fantastic filmmaker all around just yeah. so great. You know, with with by Sidney Lumet, the idea, again, thank you, Bruce, for not spoiling it. But the idea behind that documentary, which I, I saw it a couple of years ago, which stuck with me was because of that traumatic incident, Sidney Lumet as a filmmaker was always passionate and focused on no matter what 
movie he was going to tackle. Well, I don't know about the Wiz. I've I've never seen the Wiz, but he at least a lot of his movies he was he wanted to portray protagonists who are a witness to something. How do they react to the events that unfold before them? In the pawnbroker, you see a completely different way that the main character deals with tragedy and society outside his doorstep or maybe even inside his shop. And within On Night Falls on Manhattan, we have Sean Casey realizing all of these external events, slowly but surely domino effect into his life. How is he going to be a witness to this form of injustice? So it's really interesting if you can have, if you do have the time listener, check out by Sidney Lumet, they will give you a lot more added perspective into these movies, just like just like the pawnbroker, Dave, really was really an upscale for you, Eric Holmes, which we're going to close with you. Just final thoughts on Sidney Lumet. You went on a deep dive on Sidney Lumet, Lumet back in the early aughts. Do you think because of these two movies down the line, are you excited to see even more Lumet films that you haven't checked out? Yeah, and there, I mean, that list isn't very long. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's... he's Easily one of the greatest directors ever. One of the best storytellers ever. And again, I gotta, I gotta uh, try this point at home. Read making movies. I th- th- there's so much, there's so much, and and as well as the uh, documentary uh, by Sid Sidney Lament, which is called by Sidney Lament. It's not a documentary by Sidney, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, he's got a he's got a, a, a really matter of fact way of explaining his process. Because uh, we didn't really get into it, but the, a lot of the process, there's often a lot of hyperbole and uh, like poetic language. And he didn't really talk like that. He's here's what it is, and here's what I do, and here's how I make it, and it totally makes sense. Um, and he somehow manages to get poetry in between the lines. So, <laughs> you know, oh, very good, uh, and it, that 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 works out uh, to his benefit. And yeah, he's he's. He's one of the greatest uh, directors to ever do the job. And uh, I'm always happy to watch a movie of his. And you should check out his movies if you haven't. Oh, and he also mentions uh, in interviews and in his book, he mentions melodrama a lot. And we haven't talked about melodrama at all, but his movies are full of melodrama. But if you've ever has seen an interview with Lumet or read his book and you know what his definition of melodrama is, you'll know that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Lumet is pretty much the king king of dramas, especially if they're set in New York. We we love Sidney Lumet. I was gonna say so oh also one of the things he said during one of the po- these podcast interviews, archival interviews, they asked Sidney Lumet, the interviewer interviewer did, does he like improv usually? And he said no. He doesn't like improv. So when he says when you when someone says no they don't like improv you're thinking okay well he or she on the set that means they're very controlling of the project of the words on the page this is how he how he actually followed up with that answer after saying no he goes in the rehearsal process if the actors have a problem or a different version of the lines that they want to say I usually tell them hey you can change these lines just as long as it gets you to where we're going so let's workshop it in the rehearsal. And then he'll workshop it. Maybe if it's obviously if it's his own screenplay, it's that, that you're not cutting the middleman. But if there's another, if there's the, if it's based on another screenplay, which is most of his films, maybe he'll contact the writer and they'll workshop it with the other actors. So by the time they get to the set, there really is no improvisation. So 
I think it's a really cool way of controlling the environment, but giving the actors free reign to change words, lines, phrases, as long as the story itself is intact. What, Eric, what do you think of that yeah. process? That's, that? uh, that's, uh, well, it's not, I mean, I think it's a, be a misnomer to say he's against improv because he's for improv, just not on the day. Just not on <laughs> the, the day. The improv yeah. is part of the writing process, which is part of the rehearsal process. But yeah, I mean, that's a, yeah, by the time, uh, by the time we're shooting, it, we should already had all that worked out. And that sounds like what his take is on that. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to us. On, uh, on this latest episode of Sydney Lumet on our Find Your Film Director Spotlight. Again, this episode technically isn't over because we're going to deal with the spoilers. So my suggestion to you is watch The Pawnbroker, Night Falls on Manhattan, or if you've already seen those films, go to our website and check out our little mini talk regarding the endings of the movie. Thank you so much. Bruce Perky, sign us out. Go there and listen to it. <laughs> That's all okay. I gotta say. Enough said, guys. We'll see you next week.